Father, so many times we've made your gospel so complicated and so hard to understand. Thank you for a, a time just like this where we're reminded that it is so simple. Your deep, 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 deep love for us is so powerful and so strong. And it can break the binds of these untruths that, that threaten to separate us. But God, you've promised us that no amount of those untruths will separate us. And God, sometimes we just find ourselves in, in just in the dust of life and you, you always find us. You always, always, always find us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this great, great sermon that Jesus taught and that there's so much we've learned from it and will continue to. So, Lord, we, we lay this before you. We thank you for it. And in Jesus' name, everyone who agreed said, amen. Amen. You have a seat. Well, we're concluding the uh, series called Life Beyond Religion uh, based upon this, this famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught. And uh, it's been a, a great, it's a great privilege for me, actually, to be able to participate in this and to uh, share this final message. And so uh, I'm excited about that. I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. I love the fact that it is so simple and so powerful, and, and it was the greatest sermon, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest teacher ever taught. And in a minute, we're going to look at the response of this audience that, uh, that Jesus spoke to. But before we do that, I want to share with you another response, uh, post-sermon response that happened to me a number of years ago. I shared this story uh, 11 years ago here at Southbrook, and some of you I know remember because you've mentioned it to me before. But uh, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount, and so when I was a teaching pastor at First Church of Christ in Xenia back in the, this was in the mid-80s, I was teaching through this particular a text, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. I thought it'd be a great idea. I was young and naive. I thought, man, it'd be so cool to do something really dramatic at the end of this message series. So I thought, I'll just, uh, I'll commit it to memory, those three chapters, and then I will, I will present it in the first person in the character, dressed in the character of Jesus. And so I, I, I didn't tell anyone I was going to do this. It was going to be a complete, I just told everyone, hey, we're going to have a kind of a surprise ending to this series. And uh, I didn't even tell the team who was leading worship that day. All I told them was, is the last song I want you to do is, and this is how kind of goofy this whole deal was, and you'll see in a minute, is that I want them to all sing the song, Open My Eyes, Lord, I Want to See Jesus. True story. And as they sang this song, down the center aisle walked a six foot three, very white Caucasian Jesus with full beard and hair. And then I, I presented the, the, the three chapters by, by memory. Um, my children's director, this is the best part of the story. Our children's director saw what I was doing. And she said, hey, would you come and do this for some of our kids? And so we're actually doing a field trip this week at John Bryan State Park. Would you be willing to come and, and do that with our kids? And so we kind of got this idea that, hey, we'd meet, we'd find a, a place that we both would know where it was going to be. Then I would just walk out and meet them out in the park there. And all of a sudden, just Jesus is going to show up and do the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Great idea until I'm sitting here in the parking lot thinking, this is going to be really awkward walking through the park. Uh, who am I going to meet walking along the way? So I, but I, put the costume on in my car, I got out, and there's a little a little um, bridge 
walk over by a little pond over in that area. So I'm walking across the bridge in my Jesus costume, and uh, there sitting on the bank to my left is a young man, probably in his mid-20s or so. He's just sitting there kind of in a meditative state, which is, this is around Yellow Springs area, so... Uh, <laughs> He's in this very meditative state, and he just all of a sudden looks up at me. And he, his head is just following me as I walk across the bridge. And I wasn't expecting this, so I just stopped and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> and I kept walking. And his head just kept pivoting as he followed me all the way across until I was out of sight. True story. I've often wondered if at some point in my life, before God calls me to heaven, or maybe it's going to be in heaven, but, but I'm going to meet up with a guy, and we're just going to have a casual conversation. He says, yes, you know what? When I met Jesus, it was back in uh, John Bryan State Park, and he appeared to me in a vision, and he spoke to me, and I'm going to have to fess up and say, um, dude, it wasn't Jesus. It was me. But I want to jump to this, uh, the post-sermon reaction that was very, very different than my post-sermon reaction back in the 80s. And this was uh, in the last few verses of our text, in, in verses 28 and 29, it says this, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, this is the post-sermon reaction. Now, if you remember, when, when Charlie first started this series uh, several weeks ago, he made the comment that at the very beginning, Jesus saw the crowds, but then he took his disciples off aside and he began teaching them. So at the very beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, it was just Jesus and the disciples. And by this time, at the conclusion, Matthew recalls the crowds. In fact, one translation says the multitudes were amazed. I think this is so fascinating. Because somewhere along the line, his teaching has been attracting more and more and more people to now it's not just the 12. Now it's the crowds or the multitude. And they're all, it fascinates me because that's never happened to me. <laughs> It's never happened where I started out, unless it's in Southbrook, and you guys, it's because you're notoriously late. Um, <laughs> but it's never happened where I'm teaching, and all of a sudden the crowds just kind of keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. They, in fact, if anything, it's the other way around. They kind of start leaving and start dispersing. But in Jesus' case, they kept coming. And the Bible says they were amazed. And, and that word means astonished or literally dumbfounded. They were blown away. Now, it wasn't just at his style of teaching or at his stories or at his humor or at, at his, uh, his, you know, any of the style of, about his teaching. It was actually at, because of his authority. And the word for authority is exousia. And it means an authority that's contributed to one who is sovereign. What they were sensing is that as Jesus taught it was so different than anything they'd ever heard. Their teachers and their scribes always taught based upon someone else's authority. They would take, they, Moses said this, Abraham said this, Isaac said this, Elijah said that, did this or did that. And they would base their, even some of their rules and religions on the, on the past prophets of old. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. And he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you this. And they sensed this authority. It was like, this is God speaking to us. And they were amazed at his authority. 
Now, as, let's go back to the beginning of the, of the text. If you look at this last entire section, in fact, Charlie spoke last week on two of these scripture verses. I'm only going to reference to them because there's like three choices that I see that we're really making that he is challenging each one of us to make as we listen to this, this sermon. One is choose your, choose your path very carefully. In verses 13 and 14, he talked about the small gate and the wide gate and the narrow path and the, and the broad path. And, and again, Charlie mentioned this last week, great message. You need to go back if you haven't heard it. So choose your path very carefully. Also, choose your guide very carefully. In the next section of Scripture, he talked about that there's people who will come who will deceive you. They'll, they'll be dressed like they'll be wolves in sheep's clothing. Be very deceptive. So choose your guide. Choose who you're going to orient your life around very carefully. And now in this section that we're going to look at today, choose your foundation very carefully. He's going to use a parable. And in this parable, it's going to describe a couple builders. Look at these verses. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against and blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But if anyone hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, Jesus is not talking about building contractors or building code violations or the like, things like that, getting permits to build, what, you know, all of that. He's really talking about using an analogy or a metaphor or a story about two builders who are building a life, and that's us. We're all builders, aren't we? God has given us a lot of choices to make, and no one's going to force you to build your life in a certain way. Those are all matters of choice that God has given us the freedom. And he's given us a lot of choices to make. But be very careful and, be, and make sure of one thing. That as we choose what we're going to build our lives upon, that foundation is critically important to whether your life is going to be able to withstand the storms of your life or whether it may fall. If you're like me, I grew up in church. I remember singing this song as a kid. The little children's course about this, the wise man and foolish man. Any of you remember that? I'm going to watch. I found a little quick little video. Watch this video and see if it brings back some memories. The wise man built his house upon the rock. You can sing along rock. if you want to. The wise man Man. 
You remember that? Or something similar to that. You know what's crazy about that? Who in the world thought about using a children's song to describe? And, of course, the most enjoyable part of the whole song was what? The house comes crashing down. I mean, we're just laughing and rejoicing and enjoying that. And this is about a life who's, a life who's been destroyed. And yet we're just kind of thinking that, that's the fun part of the whole song. It's kind of like probably the same person who wrote the children's prayer that we've all, many of us prayed as we were growing up. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now turn off the lights, sweet dreams. Are you kidding me? But Jesus is telling this story not just to have as a fun song for kids to sing or to celebrate, but it's about reality. It's about life's reality, and it's about how do we build our lives. And in doing so, he talks about some similarities and some contrasts. We're going to talk about three similarities today and two contrasts. And Jesus did this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Remember he talked about those of you who have a, have a plank in your eye and you're trying to pull out a splinter in someone else's eye. That's a, that's a contrast. He talks about uh, bad treasure and good earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. He talks about bad fruit and good fruit and bad trees and good trees. He uses this all the time. And in, in this parable, he does the same thing. There's three similarities about these two builders. The first similarity is both of them have life dreams. And they were good life dreams. They wanted to build a life. Some of you are students here today. And you'll be in the second service as well. Or you're watching online and you're... You're at a stage in your life where you're really thinking about, what am I going to do with my life? My granddaughter, who's a junior at Dayton Christian, and she's thinking about those things. By the way, she'll be singing it during the atrium, during the mid, uh, between the services, so you might want to check that out. Uh, a little plug for that. But she's at that place, and we're not ready that for that, but she is, and she's thinking, and she's excited about making it a life. And, and some of you are doing the same thing, or maybe you've already made that decision. Maybe you're at other stages in life. You're choosing, you're thinking about marriage, you're thinking about family, you're thinking about a change of jobs. There's, we all start out with these, these good life dreams. No one ever starts out thinking, you know, by the time I'm 30, I really, I'm, my plan on being divorced. Or by the time I'm 30, I, I want to, I'd kind of like to go through bankruptcy. Or I'd like to find myself in prison. Or I'd like to find myself maybe uh, with a, self, like a destructive addiction for the past 10 years of my life. No one thinks about those kinds of things. They, they sometimes happen, yes, but no one starts out dreaming about those kind of life dreams. And so these, both these builders had very positive, good life dreams. They also, the second similarity is they both were exposed to the truth. Jesus says they both heard these words of mine. Now, that doesn't mean they were sitting in a, in a, in a, church service listening to a gospel message it might have been that it could have been they were reading scripture it could have been that they were hearing the words of truth in other ways sometimes it's just being out in nature I, I love nature and sometimes nature speaks to me with a louder voice than anything else about the majesty and the power and the sovereignty of God but all of them were able to hear things of, of truth into their life and the third similarity is they both experienced struggles both houses went through storms, massive storms. Now, when I say the word storm, it means something different to many of us. If you've been down helping the people of Mayfield, Kentucky, or going down there to help people, 
Those people, you know, they've gone through some massive storms and we're trying to help them out. Or even down in the southern uh, United States, even this past week. I live in Xenia. That tells you a lot about storms. 1974, the F5 tornado that came through and wiped out so much of, of Xenia. We moved three years after that, but we were living there during the September 2000 tornado, F4 tornado, that came within just a couple hundred yards of our home. So we understand, and many of us understand, what storms are like. But we all go through these storms, and some of them are major. Jesus says they, they beat against that house. The wind blew and beat against that house. And some of you are in storms right now. And you're feeling that wind. You're feeling the rain. It, it rains a lot. And you're feeling that, that struggle. And both of these builders had struggles. But look at the contrast. The contrast, there's two of them. One of them was a builder was referred to as a wise person. And the other builder was referred to as a fool. Now, wisdom is, is, is kind of a funny thing. It's, it's not something that we can just kind of study to gain. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men liberally. So I think there is a d divine thing about wisdom that happens when, in fact, I've given the simplest definition of wisdom to me is the ability or willingness to apply spiritual truths to life's realities or decisions. Some of you know wise people, and you would say, if I had a question or some big issue in life, this is who I'd go to. And it's not because of their education. It's not because of their, their, some of their, uh, their knowledge they have up in their head. It's because they have experienced life, and they are willing to apply a spiritual truth to a reality in your life or in their life or decision in their life. And that's, to me, what wisdom is all about. On the other hand, the fool, Jesus describes as a fool, would be the opposite of that an unwillingness or an inability to apply spiritual truths to life's realities or life's decisions. And you know people who are extremely educated, extremely knowledgeable. They even know the Bible from front to back. But you wouldn't think of going to them to seek wisdom about something because they, they, don't, they don't take the spiritual truth and apply it to life's realities or decisions. So these two contrasts really describe the, the kind of the kind of life that God wants us to live. The second contrast is the difference between rock and sand, the difference of the foundation composite itself. One is described as rock, the word is petra, and it's not uh, like pea gravel or it's not like even stones or rocks, it's not even boulders. We're talking about bedrock. 